welcome back once again to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I am joined today by... Morning, Beth, as in the time of day, not the sad feeling. Wide awake, Sam. (laughs) And I'm still reeling over the fact that Beth got upset about my Suicide Squad joke in comparison to all the Morbius shit she's put me through over the years, but hey... (laughs) Let's all yell about how the Suicide Squad reference was so stupid and dumb. Also, I'm Caleb. Hi, Caleb. (laughs) I didn't say it was dumb. I just said I was going to quit the podcast and that Justin needs to get a new sister. You're right. I forgot. Yes, that's true. It's much more reasonable of a response. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, things are starting out here with Well of Ascension about where we left off with them. Yeah, before we get too far into it, we got some maps right at the beginning of the book that are similar, but not the same. And you can go and roll the clip on how I feel about maps. It's a good clip. Yeah, we are, we're starting a new book today. We had our, uh, our pre-book discussion last episode, uh, and we're getting into things proper. Uh, but before we get to page one of the story, we do in fact have some maps yeah, looking at them, it seems like it's about the same, like, location-wise is what we're looking at. But we have a couple of new details of, some of which I have no idea what's happening. There's something called the Conventicle of Saren, which I'm pretty sure is from Mass Effect. Um, and then we also have um, Mount Deratadith. Well, we'll figure out how to pronounce that when we actually comes up in the plot. Historical location of the Well of Ascension. So... I mean, the title of the book spoiled it a little bit, too, but the map also <laughs> is letting us know that, like, yeah, that's going to be real important this time around. Yeah, I uh, I wish I actually had my copy of Final Empire next to me as well so I could compare these, but those are locations that weren't marked on there last time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was mostly just the mountains in Final Empire that were labeled on the world map. Um, and then in Luthadel, we also have a couple of changes. Um, there is... Now the Square of the Survivor, which certainly wasn't in the first book. Uh, Credit Shaw now has a little extra allomancy symbol next to it, which is really interesting. And I don't know if those are anywhere else on the map aside from the compass. And then some for some reason we have Cayman Safehouse still on here. I, I have no idea <laughs> if that's going to be relevant, but that's still there. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just a couple of, of interesting changes. Um, Keep Venture is still labeled as Keep Venture, which is a little bit interesting given that the role of Keep Venture we know has changed in the first couple of chapters. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's like looking into a mirror, only not. It's pretty similar, but there are a few little changes. <laughs> I didn't even notice that extra allomancy symbol. You have good eyes. I didn't notice it till literally right now, even though I took notes on all the other stuff, but thank you. <laughs> I want to point out that since there are changes, uh, Naj has indeed updated this a third time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> Gosh darn it. I- I'd like to hope for his sake that he had uh, he had memory or something. And-, and when somebody asked him about these details, he was able to just go to the map that he had already delivered to them and write them right on there and didn't ha- actually have to go check. I think it's way funnier if he made this map from scratch. And the note, in fact, implies that he forgot he wrote this note on the previous map. So someone gaslit him into being like, oh, no, you've only given me two maps before, or third time. One map, you've only given me the one map, just one more time. Just one more time. 
This is Poor deep nage lore that we're, <laughs> we're I, I, building. I'm really like looking it. forward to when we actually meet him. It's really inconsequential. He just shows up kind of in the background doing his mapping thing, but I, I'm looking forward He's to around. it. All right, should we actually get started with the with this book? Let's do it. Let us begin the book. Dive right in. I already read this section. Obviously, we're doing this episode, but I just got really excited all over again when I turned the page and saw part one. Yeah, here we are. Part one, Heir of the Survivor, which is is kind of setting the tone for what we've got to deal with here, because turns out that uh, even though Kelsier had a plan that extended beyond his own death, it perhaps didn't extend this far. And now... It extended 12 hours past his death. Right. And now there are some things to unfuck. You did it. You broke the will of ascension down to its bare essentials. <laughs> Kelsier's dead and there are things to unfuck. Put that in the front of the book. Yeah, I should definitely just write write cover blurbs. Evil has been defeated. Now there are things to unfuck. The well of ascension is for novel. <laughs> Uh, we are starting off, though, uh, there's no prologue this time. We're starting right off with chapter one. Uh, but we do have a new set of epigraphs, which means all over again, we get to try to puzzle out what is, uh, what's going to be going on with these. And I really love the, the epigraph that we start with in chapter one. I write these words in steel yeah. for anything not set in metal cannot be trusted. Doesn't give you a lot, but it there's a mood set there. I really like it. It's a mood setter, and I also, from that, was like, oh, this has to be a Farukamist, um, which already kind of keyed me into this will likely be epigraphs set in the same, um, like, time period as in the first book, um, which just gets me excited for more lore. Um, and I can break down chapter by chapter what my theories were and then how quickly those theories were shot down. But Right, we, um, do, we do actually get an answer. Yeah. Uh, but from the get-go, I was like, oh, that's that's a Farukamist talking, absolutely. Or it could be just some guy who's chiseling this into large blocks of steel. Could be. Yeah, could get like a stylus and a mallet. I like to picture that, um, you know, Vin's going to find this like somewhere walking to the Well of Ascension and be like, oh, I found this tome. Well, it would be honestly it would be it would be kind of neat it's a pyramid on the map though the whole well of ascension thing given the perspective that we find out who it is later i don't think this person could literally carve into the site of the well of ascension um but i actually do think it would be a really cool of idea instead of like a book um this time they like come across a monument that just has like writing all around it that's been engraved into it that, that'd be kind of cool oh it would be neat well we'll have to see when we can uh puzzle out the rest of the details though we do learn quite a bit early on as we'll see in these first five chapters yeah but getting into the uh the main events of the book uh we're starting off in a uh a pretty rough situation already as uh yes i'm sorry caleb king ellen venture is here yeah <laughs> about 15 words into the book and i'm already like god well uh, uh good news for you i guess yeah. Uh, because... Sorry. Let me clarify what my actual first note is in the body of the text. Ha ha ha. Open on Ellen terrified that he's about to lose everything. <laughs> yeah. There's other people in the city. <laughs> I didn't expect that to be the first, like, shot of the book um, of Ellen looking out at the army and being like, ah, shit. Um, but uh, that's what we got. Yeah. The army in question uh, is about 50,000 strong by Ham's estimate. Uh, and it is led by one uh, Straff Venture. Booyah. 
Just <laughs> booyahing not, not, Venture? No, I'm not booyahing Strap Venture. I'm booyahing that was one of my predictions. I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm racking up my podcast points, and I'm happy about that. Confirmed. Caleb wants the entire city of Luthadel to burn and is a big old Strap Venture fan. I think I did clarify last book. I, I do like Strap Venture as a character. He's a terrible person, yeah. but... Good character. We got yeah. the five words, by the way. Ash fell from the sky. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Still falling. We back. So Ellen and Co. are trying to figure out where they go from here. Uh, all of them kind of wishing for the uh, the, the influence of Kelsier. And uh, he's, he's definitely not uh, planned for this one. <laughs> and uh, they are... They're in a bit of a rough situation. Uh, Ellen thinks that, you know, maybe he could talk to his father and have some influence, but that seems unlikely. Uh, he also notes that the the assembly of the city might just surrender, given the force that they're up against. And uh, the rest of the gang is is kind of dispersed. Spook is, is about a week out. Uh, the Lord Ruler only knows where Breeze went. So hopefully we can we can track the rest of the gang down. Yeah. I wrote Breeze fucked off. Not surprising. Breeze is like I'm taking a gap here. That was I'm I, I got it. I got to go on vacation for a while. Um, we also get Ham invoking the Lord Ruler's name, which is just a really cool yeah. detail of like he. We literally have seen his corpse. He is dead for sure. But just the culture of having him be this godlike figure makes it so mm-hmm. he's still in the lexicon, which is really cool. Other really cool detail is that. You know, part title, heir of the survivor, Kelsier is dead. We have some things to unfuck. You you immediately think, oh, heir of the survivor, that's probably Vin. You know, she was about doing misborning stuff with him. But second page in, Ellen is the one thinking, I wish Kelsier was here. And the two mm-hmm. of them came face to face and time. Yeah. So that really sets the tone for how how long Kelsier's shadow looms over this already. That is the exact words I was going to use, is it's it's going to be an interesting ride uh, in this book of, for Ellen especially, of how do you how do you live up to someone like Kelsier if you're trying to be in a, a leader position here, especially given how little interaction they actually had. Mm-hmm. It's also just really interesting that you bring that up right after... I talked about the Lord Ruler thing of like, now I'm curious how both of those characters are going to continue to mm. impact the book, b- despite both of them being dead. Um, that could be an interesting kind of, for all you folks reading this in high school, this would be a good thing to write your essay on. Um, just kind of comparing the two of them and how uh, their influence on the characters here continues to um, kind of propagate itself. We then have a good question of where'd Vin run off to? And... Ellen, turns out, has no idea, but we get to find out because we get to check in on our heroine here. And she is, uh, some called her paranoid. She thought herself prepared. So not much has changed with Vin. I was going to say, yeah, that's about the same as uh, Vin from the first book. And to be fair, in both the previous book and in this book, being prepared has been very helpful. She's pre-paranoid. It does get a little silly later on, but yeah. So we're checking in on Vin, who is just kind of doing a, a patrol around Luthadel. Her her feelings on the, the city are, are complicated, given that she is 
now in in quite a bit more power than she previously was but it's still you know she's still kind of skulking about in the shadows and, and all that so it's a, it's an interesting an interesting take i also like the very quick like we spent pages and pages and pages exploring allomancy last book and sort of laying out the mechanics we get like two paragraphs that's like she can burn metals here's what it does she doesn't care why anyway <laughs> We've done this already. Moving on. Right, right. This is not a book that you would read having not read the first book in the series. No. That being said, skipping, like, just looking forward a little bit to the second chapter, the whole fight in the, uh, like, streets really feels like a tutorial level for the sequel to a video game of, like, it does, Mm -hmm. every time a new metal is burned, there is a quick description of, like, and here's what's actually happening there. Um, But it just, it breezes by so fast that yeah this would still be very difficult to follow if you had not read the first book but it seems weird to to do a recap of like the foundation of the magic system of this book series at all i mean i looked at like just because this seems like something you would do after like five year gap in writing or something but it Mm -hmm. was a year almost to the day after mistborn that this book was released I don't know, maybe there are some big readers who got confused in that time, but... I do like the video game tutorial comparison. I Now I'm just imagining each enemy popping up and it going into bullet time and being it like, It pauses for a second. steal! Yeah. Press X to steal! And if you try to use a different one, the cutscene just kind of resets and is like, No, use steal! No! <laughs> they do the Halo method. Look up! Now look down! That is, I'm, I'm going to tangent in case anyone isn't familiar with what that actually does, because it's brilliant. In, I think they did it in Halo and Halo 2. Uh, oh, because yeah. at that time, uh, dual analog controls for a first-person shooter were actually kind of new. And so it wasn't just an, an automatic assumption that you knew how to use them. And so when... Uh, it's it's like a calibration and diagnostic routine for Master Chief and his armor. And they're telling you to do things like look around the room. And when they say, when they tell you to look up, whichever direction you press on the control stick, up or down, Chief will look up and the game will automatically invert or not invert your controls based on Yo. which one you decided to do. It's yeah. brilliant. It's cool. That's awesome! I've never actually, like, the only times I've played Halo are when I was over at a friend's house, and I uh, did poorly, so (laughs) I could have used that tutorial. (laughs) I want a Mistborn video game. Anyway, so we do have uh, Vin meeting up with a a character here who we saw in the last book extensively, but in kind of an unconventional way. Uh, This is Orsir, the Chandra who is now going to be referred to by name and openly discussed as such, which is is a bit of a change from last book, where he was was there, but uh, was fully involved in his character. A lot of asides of Vin going, what's your deal, anyway? There was one point in my notes where I was like, it would be really cool if he had, like, he was using the body of the Lord Ruler, because no one knows what old man Lord Ruler looked like. Um, but that did not happen, unfortunately. Those are some old bones. Yeah, but it would be cool, though, if you considered it. <laughs> you know what? Let me think. 
calibrating, inverting controls. Yeah, that's cool. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> we also get our first mention of the Watcher, which is kind of low key terrifying reading it for the first time. And then Vin is like, oh, I was really looking forward to sparring with him. And it's like, what? okay, who, what, who, what's going on here? Yeah, she has some interesting priorities there. Um, yeah. Um, I, my first thought was like, okay, new rival character, but like Vin really wants to fight them. So really Vin is probably the rival character to the Watcher. But then we get a little bit more later on and that's not really what's happening either. Um, but just like a, a really good job of what? We're three, five pages in and there's, a, Sanderson has already like put Vin in the Kelsier position of, knowing way more than we do and just refusing to think about it so we don't get to know what she's thinking um hmm. which is just like yeah whole new mystery set up right in the first chapter which is really fun and we we then go immediately from there as we mentioned into uh chapter two it's time for an elementic fight uh which means chapter two it's time for an epigraph before we get an elementic fight uh this is we're back to the the, the realm of of prophecies here uh and our writer you know what? I'm just going to... We find out in Chapter 5 what his name is, right? Quan. Yes, but in yes. my notes here, I said, ah, so this is probably Rashak's diary. Mm. I'm just mm. going to call him Quan, so I don't have to do, like, the the writer of these epigraphs, which I had to do for the entire <laughs> last book. The author of the journals. The author of the journals. Did a damn good job, by the way, because I was sold that it was the Lord Ruler for most of the book while we were discussing it. Yeah, I uh, I had to be had to be careful with that one. Uh, looking ahead to to Hero of Ages, the the very first epigraph of the book invites a very obvious question of who is writing these, and I will have to be careful. Yeah. So <laughs> we have discussed we'll a few times in our spoiler chat of stuff we have to tiptoe about. So mm-hmm. we're gonna keep each other honest, and yeah. by honest I mean dishonest. Because we have yeah. to lie to you. <laughs> By honest, lie to us. Yes. But it's very precise lying. And we're telling you that we're doing it. It makes it so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Quan continues to be as relatable. The last book had such great epigraphs as, I am growing so very tired. And now we start with, I have begun to wonder if I am the only sane man left. Mm-hmm. Sane, girl. So yeah, Quan is is concerned that uh, apparently the prophecies are being interpreted kind of too easily. He thinks that that everyone else is is just jumping to conclusions and wants to urge some caution, and uh, and thus begins an elementic fight. Uh, there's uh, this is this is really just like I I checked the annotations. Brandon just says elementic fights are fun to write, and I wanted to put one in the book early on. You're right. <laughs> so Vin's assumption here is that given that there is an army arriving, it would also make sense to send in an, an Alamancer team to, to hunt down Vin in particular, but Alamancers of, of Luthadel in, in general. Uh, but yeah, there are there are eight Alamancers. Uh, it is not the Mysterious Watcher. We'll have to find out more about that later. Uh, but we get a, a good old fight. As it gets more serious, you know, it, we'll we'll run into it because I think this lasts like oh no, it it lasts just this one chapter, but uh, it gets more intense. 
Um, and I wrote, is she really going to get killed by eight jabronis after all this? <laughs> like, after everything? Chapter 3. Ham tried to cry at Vin's funeral, but the tears just wouldn't come. And then he was stabbed, because he dies. <laughs> yeah, he dies horribly in the next chapter, of course. Right, we're still going to be on Ham dying watch. I forgot. Uh, yeah, so this, this fight continues. Vin, it, it is it is an eight-on-one, but Vin is is holding her own uh, we do have the mysterious watcher appearing though he's not actually in the fight he just shoots a a, a a coin which kind of throws off the balance of the enemy coin shots and also alerts vin and then he leaves so we're just gonna have to figure that mystery out later pretty good at watching <laughs> it lives up to the name <laughs> And then Vin Superman punches a guy to death. Yeah, there's some really cool, really cool bits in there. I also wrote down Superman punch into neck snap, um, which was <laughs> quite a bit. Um, there is a grievous plot hole on page 26 where it says, The coin shot died with a dagger in his chest. He was no thug, but he couldn't burn Peter to enhance his body. Vin pulled out her dagger, then yanked his pouch free. He gurgled quietly. If he's still gurgling, he's not dead with the dagger in his chest. I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. Brandon. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> Come on, Brandon. <laughs> so as this, this fight continues, she gets through four or five of them. Uh, we have a, a new sort of, of weapon. Somebody makes a really loud noise and it hurts Vin's head, which is an, an interesting tactic. <laughs> Gives the uh, copper burners something to do. Yeah, the secret weapon against to fight Mistborns. Two sticks. <laughs> Two sticks. <laughs> like you get a basketball game. That is basically exactly <laughs> what they are. I'd like to think that there's like branded messages printed on them. <laughs> I do love that idea, though. Of, like you were, you said it kind of jokingly, Beth. But like, yeah, finding non-alimantic ways to fight a Mistborn is really cool and really clever. And I like that, like mm -hmm. that kind of element of the world building as well. Uh, I have the the annotations up because I'm looking through the things that that Brandon was writing about this, and he actually specifically thanks a member of his writing group for mentioning this as an idea that they thought would be a, a good way to. Uh, to help fight a Mistborn. And he said, you know, that's a really good idea. Let me put that in. Nice. So thanks to Nate H. Good job, Nate. Nate. Big ups. But uh, pretty so soon on, we get a, a brief bit of confusion. And then Vin, Vin figures it out in that it turns out that she, she killed the smoker. She knows that. But there's still copper up, which means that someone else in this group is a mistborn and she figures that out kind of just in time because uh, the the combat gets a little more serious as it turns out that one of who sh she thought was a coin shot is actually a full mistborn and the the combat kind of kicks up from there i like that little i like it like i think kelsier has a line in the last book that's like alamancy is nothing but tricks vin and i'm glad to see that it's still in effect yeah secret mistborn is always a good twist um, there is a point, um, on, uh, um, uh, on actually on page, uh, 29, I believe, uh, she mentions how, uh, she hits one of the thugs and he doesn't rise and she counts that as three down 
that goes to the total. But then later on, all four thugs are up and about and back in the fight. Um, hey, Brandon, get with the picture, please. Come on, keep tracking <laughs> hey, the thugs. Hey, counting is difficult. Brandon. <laughs> Writers cannot do math, and that includes counting. Uh, we once again have a, an appearance of Atium, which has to be brought into this fight with the, the Mistborn duel. Uh, we have Diaphanous Atium Shadows, which is just A plus word there. You can't use too many words like that, but that's a that's a good one. Good little SAT word to put in there, yeah. <laughs> oh, you I don't I school. don't mean that I don't mean that disparagingly. I, I do think it's a good it's a good line. Also during this fight, the aforementioned loud sound sticks, she just beats someone with them. And they make a noise when she hits this thug in the head with them. They're still doing their job. Uh, let's see, as the, the fight continues, uh, Orser gets riddled with coins, which uh, is unfortunate. It sucks to be him. Yeah, it really does suck to be him. We'll get into that later, yeah. but it su yeah. sucks to be him. Yeah, that's that's going to be yeah. a theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Mistborn obviously hoped that Vin's concern for her servant would draw her attention away, perhaps letting him escape. He was wrong. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Well, but Orser's a—he's a conjurer. He's—I don't know. Yes, there are there are circumstances here, but yes, we will definitely see uh, Vin's opinions and and feelings on Orser becoming a uh, a thing. And right at the the end of the fight, both of our our Mistborn in this combat run out of ATM. Lucky for Vin, uh, her opponent's happens just before, uh, and she manages to. Uh, deliver a killing blow there right after the the fight ends her atm runs out uh and that is uh that will be a a future problem and then the watcher continues doing his watching thing and then leaves <laughs> peace oh and orser's body was an executed murderer cool technically applies to the lord ruler if you think about it <laughs> yeah maybe it, I mean, maybe he is wrong. the lord ruler uh, it does kind of specify the actual circumstances of the, the criminal, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, what happened to... I mean, obviously it's weird if Kelsier's just like, oh, hey, I'm following Vin, but I can't do anything. But what happened to his body? Like, what? It is It is unclear at this point if, like... At, at this point, we've only seen Orasaur, like, impersonating the person that he most recently ate. And it's... It's really, I'm really curious to know, can he shapeshift between any of them? Or is he only stuck on one at a time, like Kirby rules? Um, I think the first option would be cooler, but um, it, the what we've seen so far kind of implies the second one, um, which is interesting. Yeah, this seems like a Kirby rules thing because uh, he says he'll need a new body. So... That's true, but presumably, I mean, we don't know how long Orasaur has been working for Kelsier, but his his options aside from this body are Kelsier or Lord Renault, both of whom are known also to be very dead. <laughs> yeah, neither of those can really make an appearance without there being many further questions. Yeah, there's kind of, a, I, I still think it would be cool if he can choose the other bodies, but it does kind of make sense as a rule of like, I kind of have to keep finding other bodies, otherwise people are going to be like, hey, didn't I see you dead last week? Um, and having to kind of freshen up every once in a while is, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interest. It's an interesting life he leads. Um, and also a pretty sucky one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get to that as 
Vin goes to to check on Orser, uh, and he is he is bleeding, given that he was shot with several coins, uh, which surprises Vin. And and we get the exchange. Uh, I didn't expect there to be blood, and he responds, "You probably didn't expect me to feel pain either." And she realizes that actually, no, she uh, she didn't consider that. She also immediately goes, "What right does this thing have to chastise me?" It wasn't really chastising. It was just like a slightly snarky response. Yeah. Um, which I think is a very big tone setter for how she feels about Orasur. In addition to the whole, I don't care if my servant dies thing. But yeah. So as as he says, uh, the contract is still in effect. Uh, according to Kelsier's commands, he needs to be protecting Vin. So that is why he is still here. Uh, but yeah, like we, we mentioned, he needs a new body, given that this one has been pretty significantly damaged. Uh, wants to use one of the assassins who Vin just fought off, but Vin uh, doesn't really want to, to go with that option, given that it involves eating a corpse, which she's still a little uncomfortable with. It's It's such a strange moral stance to take of, I will kill these eight people but I won't let any of their bodies be eaten. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's. I feel like if she wanted to, she could put herself in the mindset of all eight of these people were trying to kill Ellen. I should not feel any remorse towards them. But she feels more, I don't know, it's not even really remorse, I don't think. But yeah, she's still so repulsed by the idea of how Orasaur works that she just won't allow that to happen, which it's just, it's, just such an interesting line to draw. If this were Fallout 4, she would have eaten that corpse. Or she would have, I guess, had Orser eat that corpse without without a second thought. <laughs> she would have eaten it. Cannibal. No, you can't get it, Orasur. They're all for me. <laughs> They're all mine. And then she would unhinge her jaw. This is a deeply different book at this point. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Eldritch Vin. All right. Uh, as we are, we're wrapping up chapter two. Uh, Vin says that she will will figure something else out. Uh, Orsir can get back to the palace, though it will take some time. Uh, which is probably good that we don't get to see this because it's probably going to be messy. It's probably grim, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we learn one uh, tricky thing on the the Mistborn side of things which is the ATM that just ran out there was the last that they had yep. so the next uh Alamantic fight that Vin gets into is going to be without ATM and that is a weighing concern on to chapter three Quan is frustrated with his fellow scholars uh who apparently he's sounding a bit conspiracy wall here <laughs> uh, where uh, th- the other people are, are are deaf to his objections and blind to his discoveries and cannot connect the th- strange things that are happening. But it's a fantasy book, so things probably are strangely happening. It's, it's interesting to see that after everything, Elend has not learned um, to overcome the weakness that befell the Inquisitors, which was, of course, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. It's time for some political drama. And and Elland is is frustrated by the realism of this all. He he said, you know, he's he's done all the theory crafting. He's probably in the area at least one of the more well-studied political scholars. 
but the actual logistics and and realism of having a a council and and meetings and votes and procedures and all that is just such a pain. <laughs> yeah. As has always been the case, um I feel like Ellen would have made more hay as a political advisor to like a guy who knows nothing but is a good leader. Doxon. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I kind of agree with that, actually. I don't know about Dox. Dox doesn't have, like, I don't know. I think the two of them are kind of, you know, you, you go to, when, when there's a big problem at hand, you go to Elland and you have a big discussion on how you figure it out. And you bounce ideas off of each other and all that. You figure out what you want to do. And then you turn to Dox and you say, all right, figure it out. <laughs> make it happen. Make it make work. It so. Docs is the GAO of Congress. That's the Government Accountability Office. They crunch the numbers. Okay, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's like GAO. What does the G stand for? <laughs> <laughs> My other major source of Halo knowledge. <laughs> yep. So yeah, there's uh, there's some politics and some bureaucracy going on. The the assembly uh, of the city is trying to figure out what to do about the invading army, and they have no consensus at all. Uh, there are some in favor of trying to negotiate peace, some in favor of outright surrender. Uh, there's a faction who wants to start a, an actual war and, and fight back. Uh, apparently the, the faction in favor of surrender is gaining some momentum, though. As it would with... 50,000 people with 50,000 yeah yeah 50,000 yeah. troops <laughs> uh fortunately for him though there is uh he has some leeway in that as king uh he has the right to negotiate before anything significant happens and parlay yeah there's there's going to be a parlay i also like how it's been like a couple of months or something uh of of ellen trying to to run this place uh, and he's already he's already thinking like, wouldn't this be so much easier if I just had all the power, like the Lord Ruler, like I could just <laughs> tell them what to do? That'd be nice. <laughs> I wonder if the Lord Ruler was right. Not with the oppression, but <laughs> mm. so too does Vin. Everybody's just used to being led by a dictator. That they're just mm -hmm. like, I want a new dictator. I want me to be the dictator. <laughs> I well, want better. a better dictator. Yeah. As we covered in the first book, even Kelsier was like. You gotta listen to me, because I'm not allowing for any other ideas out there. Um, with that one speech, like, two-thirds of the way through the book. Like, yeah, even Kelsier was like, sometimes you just gotta take control and not let anyone else tell you what else to do. Um, <laughs> which is, it's uncomfortable to think about, but you look at the circumstances and you're like, I do understand why these characters would feel that way. Um, yeah. The people long is, for oppression. It's, 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 ba it's bad, man. There's bad, a man. a term from uh, mostly from uh, the open source software world where a project will get started by one person, and then as it as it grows, there's all sorts of people working on it, and there's no like formal structure because it's a, a big open collaborative movement. Uh, but kind of unofficially, the person who started it has final say on everything. Uh, and th this structure is commonly referred to as benevolent dictator for life, which is just is just the way that a lot of these projects end up working out is like, like Guido Van Rossum isn't really 
in charge of Python because anybody can work on Python, but everybody just listens to what he says. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that, as as Alan notes, the benevolent or otherwise, the position of dictator for life is somewhat different when your lifespan is a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> so even if there was an actual dictator in charge now, it would still be very different than the Lord Ruler's uh, regime. I also like that uh, Ellen hears Vin running around on the roof and is like, ah, it's Vin. Great. <laughs> I, I do like, yeah, he gets that. And it's like, bro, about a year and a half ago, the people on your roof were assassins trying to kill you. Like, there is a decent mm -hmm. chance it's not Vin, man. Yeah. <laughs> she was just trying to rob me. He's always... He's always had that little bit. It would be incredible if this 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 far out, he still doesn't realize that those were assassins. He's still like, ah, yeah, that was back when Vin tried to rob me. <laughs> Vin's just never brought it up. <laughs> they just wanted to tell everyone I was reading bad books. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how much he actually figures Maybe out. Maybe he recognizes her footsteps up there. Like, I always knew which family member was coming down the stairs just based on how they were clomping down them. Maybe he recognizes those roof scuttles. How many footsteps on the roof has Ellen heard? Apparently he didn't hear any when the assassins tried to kill him. Yeah. I Based on Vin's sort of whole deal, I'd be willing to bet he hears her footsteps on his roof specifically quite a bit. That's probably true. I'm just saying I don't know how he would distinguish those from other footsteps if he's never heard anyone else's. She is like a five foot tall, like waif of a person. There could be a five foot so. tall assassin coming after Ellen. It's not out of the question. That's all I'm saying. So as we leave Ellen, he is he is getting back to his his paperwork, uh, and we get to see Vin's take on kind of the the current political and martial situation here, uh, where she views this through a, a pretty singular lens of her job is to keep Ellen alive. The rest of things might be kind of beyond her control, but her mission here is keep Ellen safe. Keep Summer safe. It's a Rick and Morty reference there. I was going to guess Heroes. I don't remember what the cheerleader's name was, but... I watched a season of Heroes. I wanted to say Claire. That's right. Some it was white Claire. girl name. Yeah. <laughs> Some cheerleader-y name. TV shows of the late 2000s. Hot, uh, <laughs> hot topics nowadays. That sounds like a Jeopardy category. <laughs> Probably would be. My favorite bit about this is just that Vin continues to not give herself enough credit. Yeah. It hadn't been heroic strength or mystical power that let Vin defeat the Emperor. She just figured out the trick. Yeah, you and nobody else for a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, there was a point, I, I don't remember exactly where, but she specifically says, um, oh yeah, they all defeated the Lord Ruler together. It's like, Marsh kind of like kept him occupied for a bit but like it was mostly you man like you can take credit for that <laughs> and also it definitely was a little bit of mystical power what was the whole drawing on the mists thing girl <laughs> so she is trying to to keep her watch on the roof uh, which she's doing both uh, physically and elementically using her, her bronze to try to hunt out uh, any other elementers out there uh, and we get a reminder that there's something weird going on with the fact that, that she could see through copper clouds. And that's still kind of a, an open mystery as to how that all went down. 
also another reminder to the people returning to the book if you mm-hmm. if you missed it in the first book that shit was crazy remember that <laughs> also a quick review of like here's all the weird stuff happening with vin that's not actually how all my sports work it's just her <laughs> so up here on the roof in the mist she also has some some time to just kind of ponder uh and she's missing kelsier as well this is in a slightly more personal sense than the the opening of the book with Ellen and Ham wishing for some some plans. Uh, Vin is def- definitely still hit pretty hard by what happened at the end of the last book. And then she senses something, and things continue to be strange and mysterious uh, because there are uh, there are bronze. Her bronze is telling her that that something is like right in front of her, right nearby. Uh, And there is, it turns out there is a figure in the mists that just kind of stands there for a bit, takes one step, Vin immediately attacks it, and it goes away. (laughs) As Sam has so so dutifully copied from his notes, a misty ghosty thing appears. (laughs) That is the technical term for it, a misty ghosty thing. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I I just wrote in my notes, Mist Creepers, hell yeah, that's spooky. <laughs> that yeah. is Happy spooky certainly season. spooky. For the hundred or so people who have gotten to the final mission of uh, Pulsar Lost Colony, I was really reminded of the shadow beings that are that appear there. That is a very specific reference and one that I 100% agree with now. <laughs> Pulsar Lost Colony, actually a quite good game. I recommend it. Great game. Oh yeah, um, but there's just in the final level, they're like psychic ghosts that that are there because there's some big anomaly going on, and they just appear, and then you shoot them with your laser, and and they disappear, and then they appear again, blah blah blah, and if they touch you, you die, so maybe huh. you die if you touch, yeah. Who so knows? it's a good thing Neat. that that Vin has uh, coins to function as a as a laser here. <laughs> So now we, we resume the, the politics. Uh, I like this moment where Elland finishes his his letter and gives it a, a dramatic flourish as he writes the final line and then is like, someone's just going to rewrite this into a clean copy anyway. But I wanted to have a good final line there. Oh yeah, big, you finished the essay at three in the morning and you feel ready to turn it in, like mm-hmm. hitting enter very dramatically and then like leaning back in your chair. I've, I've, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been a long time since I last wrote an essay. Being an accountant is kind of cool because I, I, all I got to do is write a bunch of numbers. It's great. God, I can't. Numbers melt my brain. Yeah, could you keep track of how many thugs were in the fight? Because that's an important skill. (laughs) Can you account those? (laughs) We also see uh, the exact actual uh, letter that Straff Venture sent. uh, And it's very on brand, uh, where he just says, you may now turn over the city to me at that time. Signed, King Straff Venture. Yeah. Yeah, Get a load of this guy. God, I love him as a villain. He's so good. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna walk back in and take control. And like, I, I, with the fifty thousand, he knows that there's a good chance he'll get resistance. But like, addressing Ellen by just being like, yeah, this is what's gonna happen. So yeah, just do that. Um, I just, it just says so much about him that it's, it's a three sentence letter, 
um, basically trying to reinstate him or trying to instate himself as king. Um, yeah, it's 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 a power move. You can't deny it. No, I cannot. It's also a diplomatic slap in the face. He, mm, I yeah. mean, he calls him son, which is weird for Straff, maybe? Well, you can't really address him in any other way. You can't call him king. You could call him prince, I guess. I guess so, but he, he did say several times, like, you know, I wish you were dead in Mistborn. <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't mean any of this. He just means, like, you know, I'm going to show up and take the town, so just give it to me or, you know, you'll die and I won't care. Yeah, well, I think it, like calling him son is really interesting because, yeah, I don't think it shows that he cares about him at all, obviously, but it's kind of a the implication also of, like, yes, since Venture, House Venture is the one that took over the city, that makes me king. So, right, because like, I'm the leader of the Ventures, obviously. You, obvious, mm -hmm. you, my son, obviously took over the city for me, um, so hand it over. Yeah, Straff, e even already... Straff is a is a guy who you read about and you say, man, fuck that guy while you are grinning because he's fun <laughs> yeah. to read about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as he's pondering what to do, uh, Vin arrives by dropping through the, the skylight and Ellen says, you know, the, the balcony door is open. You could go in that way. And she's just like, I know. <laughs> and then proceeds to, to search the room in case there's someone hidden there because she is still debilitatingly paranoid. I like how Ellen has been in the room, if I remember correctly, and Vin still thinks someone might have snuck in, which honestly, knowing Ellen, yeah, might as well double check. I feel like this is like a scene in a play, like her dropping through the, the skylight. and the, it, Like he explains, like she opened the closet doors and hopped back, like checking under yeah, the bed. She She's like very visibly checking. There's literally a scene in the play I'm currently working on that is just a restaurant employee sprinting back and forth, working the shift from hell, hopping back and forth and, like, throwing bread across the room. <laughs> that was a very good point, Sam. Now I'm just picturing that scene. So, yeah, the the two of them, they they are, you know, they, they're enjoying a, a bit of a moment together, which is, is nice. Uh, we also, though, get the exchange... Uh, she asks, have you seen anything strange tonight? And he says, besides you? Yeah, there were a few points in this chapter, actually, where, like, I, I, I know my, like, distaste for Ellen can get a, 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 a lot sometimes, but in this chapter in particular, it seems like he's, like, looking at the camera and being like, oh, women, and it's just like, chill out, dude. She's trying to protect you. Like, just, just, just chill. Like hands on his hips, head tilt. Yeah. Women, right? You little weirdo. Oh, I love you anyways, though. Yeah. There's a there is an interesting uh thing to note where uh because the the balcony doors are open and it is late at night, the mist is is creeping into the room before it dissipates. Uh and it bothers Ellen. This is something that he still isn't used to. Uh of he you know, he tries to rationalize it and tell himself that it's okay but it's it still kind of creeps him out it's just water vapor uh but they they briefly discuss what vin saw that night including this mysterious mist figure uh and then uh this is not a spoiler to say this is going to be a, a become a recurring theme ellen tries to get vin to get some rest uh which she's not good at <laughs> Because she has been patrolling all night and then tries to do things during the day with the rest of the crew. 
And in very typical Vin fashion, he's like, hey, you should potentially, like, get some rest. Maybe do this thing. And she nods. And we all know that will absolutely not happen. Mm-hmm. And I like to picture their, uh, it, the first, like, hug of Ellen with Vin. Kind of like the hug from Step Brothers. <laughs> and then eventually it tells, like, oh, she relaxes in his arms. But at first, there's an uncomfortableness. Yeah, the, uh... These two are not quite... There's a lot that's gone on in this relationship that kind of needs unpacking. Hello. Um, the incredibly funny joke you missed out on when my Wi-Fi cut out um, was Ellen turning to camera and saying, Mistborns can't live with them, can't live without them, and then there's a laugh track that plays. Great, I'll cut that in. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so they get down to some practical discussions with Vin pointing out that uh, she ran out of ATM. Uh, they said they knew that they were going to go through the stockpile eventually. Uh, Vin says that the, the stockpile was only six beads uh, because that was a uh, a big question mark from the end of the last book. Where did that ATM go? Mm, which we'll, we'll speak of. But also there's a little thing here uh, where... Uh, Blink and you miss it, but Vin refused to marry Ellen. Ooh. <laughs> Spicy. Get bazingered. Don't. Don't do that. <laughs> no. Ah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so they're talking over the, the politics of the situation. Uh, Vin is fully on team. Why don't you just become a dictator? Just, you know, why don't you just tell them they have to accept it? You're the king. As should be expected. You know, parlay is like a kingly thing. Mm -hmm. Or even a leaderly thing. Like, you know, I'm just going to negotiate with this foreign nation. Like, screw y'all. Cry about it. Exactly. They have a uh, an exchange here where Ellen is trying to to expound his view on how they, they need to be better than what the Lord Ruler did. Uh, and in Vin's mind, it's as simple as you're a good person. So it would be okay if you were in charge, and because you're not evil. But uh, unfortunately, in Ellen's mind, the the rest of the world might not be so uh, so clear. And Vin smells. Yes, Vin is. She, she uh, smells good, to be clear. Vin is wearing perfume, which is kind of funny because Ellen is like, "Wait a second, when did when did she do that? <laughs> she just murdered eight men like an hour ago." <laughs> It's true. Is that, is that a new perfume you've got? It's blood, Ellen. Uh, oh. oh, we're going to get to that scene <laughs> later. Don't worry. Uh, we also, we have some progress on Vin actually taking a, a rest uh, because he he says you should get some sleep. And she says, okay, and just lays down. <laughs> she, she curls up on the rug like a dog, which made me write in my notes in bold and underlined, where are the animals? Which we'll get to. We will uh, get eventually. to. But here's the thing, if I may go on a brief aside. You may. To this point, the only animals that Brandon has written about are implied horses. <laughs> it is implied <laughs> that, the, that the carts are dr drawn by horses, but there is no scene that says Vin walked over to the horses and stroked their noses or anything. So to this point, I was like, I guess this world just doesn't have any animals. Like, Ska pull the canal boats? Like, Yeah, that's a fair I point. I don't know. So, I, and I animals? will chalk that up to uh, 
it being an, an early book and Brandon just not bothering to put those details in but yeah when when you mentioned that it did strike me as like wait a second shouldn't there be more animals <laughs> you'd think all the nobles would have like fancy pets but we really haven't seen any so we get a uh this is the the first time that all three of the the crew members that we've seen so far have now met back up because ham has come to deliver a report uh and there's a, a bit of an interesting twist here in that the the Alamancer team that Vin fought, uh, they've identified some of the the people, some of the, the bodies there, uh, and they weren't part of, of Straff's army. They are from the West, uh, likely from the, uh, the, the kingdom of one Ashweather Set, who we don't know anything about yet, just that he is a, uh, a leader from the West. With the name Ashweather set, he's either going to be like the coolest motherfucker around or he's going to be the lamest motherfucker around. <laughs> There's no chance of him being just sort of mediocre. Yeah. They do mention, or I keep saying they, Brandon does mention that they live like a month's long trek away. Uh, it, it struck me as weird that these guys would march for months and their plan was... Yeah, attack her like when we see her. Like just, just get like at night. Like just that throw does coins seem kind of shit. abrupt. <laughs> like, come on, you've had months. Plan something. I don't know. I'm also speaking of dominances. Looking back at that world map, it's interesting that the entire world seems to be slightly a tilt, because the northern dominance, the northern dominance is to the upper right. Western is to the upper left. Southern is bottom left and eastern is bottom right so it's almost like northwest is up there is it's it's also a kind of an open question of the map that we see is a circle which you know, this is a planet it's a sphere so what part of the planet are we looking at and how much of it are we looking at hmm. it's just the mercator projection yeah we get to argue about map projection oh yeah now i see it if i turn it upside down. yeah look at that um, I think it would be someone smarter than me could probably like track how long it takes from one character to get from one place to another and kind of estimate, um, how, how much distance that would be based on like the type of travel they're doing. Um, but that smart person certainly won't be me. I have no idea what I'm doing in that department. And I think that like, cause you could extrapolate out to like, you know, how big is the planet if it's roughly earth sized and all that. And things like that usually work out in Brandon's books, but he's also been very clear that if, like, if there if there's some little quirk of math or physics or something that is getting in the way of a good story or a good magic system, then the the magic system is going to is going to win. <laughs> but you get things like in in the Stormlight Archive, uh, he wanted to write a book where there are, are gigantic crustacean monsters that live on this planet uh, and that doesn't work on Earth because of the square cube law and they would not be able to support themselves. So the planet that the Stormlight Archive's on has low gravity and high oxygen which means you can make giant monsters and that's actually like a, a thing. I just want you to know when you said large crustacean monsters, I've never been more excited to read Stormlight Archives in my life. Oh, but, yeah. Um, 
oh, there are some oh, crabs about giant enemy crabs. We got some giant enemy crabs. I'm so excited. Oh, and the protagonist will yell, "Attack its weak point for massive for damage!" Massive damage. Uh, tangent to books that only two of us have read. Beth, did you know that on Roshar they use slightly different measurement systems? That means everyone on Roshar is really tall. Really? Yeah. The 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 Rosharan like foot and inch is slightly larger. So like I think I think Cal is like six three or something on Roshar. Oh lord. Which is already quite tall. But if he were on Luthadel, he'd be like six eight. Yeah, Rosharans are really tall. Because low gravity and high oxygen. That makes sense as to why you've named your great Pyrenees after Kaladin. Just oh, there's several he's reasons. Lord. He is Lord. <laughs> he's actually small for a peer. Yeah. And he's perfect. Anyway, back to this book that we are all reading at this point. Uh, Ham and, and Ellen have some, some discussions uh, where... Ham is trying to be the optimist and and say, you know, well, at least at least your father didn't try to assassinate you. And Ellen's like, oh, don't worry, he would. He just didn't today. And then Ham tries to do some some philosophizing and, and Ellen has to go, now is not the time, dude. I need to work on this. <laughs> it's like two in the morning. <laughs> There's also an interesting detail of Ham and Ellen both mentioned Mardra a couple of times, which I don't think we got a name in the last book, but kind of guess is probably his 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 wife and yeah it sounds like his family he has a family town um yeah. which it's very nice considering that there's a bunch of armies outside within a year of the overthrowing of the government i feel like he might have pulled the trigger a little too soon on on bringing them into town um <laughs> but i'm sure nothing bad will happen to him or his family ever so <laughs> i forgot that the ham will die theory has collateral damage and we've discussed this before that ham's imminent death brings his family into the line of fire as well yep particularly (laughs) in this book now i'm certain that at some point ham will die whether that's on when he's 115 years old of old age i'm in it's funny to say that i'm rooting for something like now i'm joining beth in somehow improbably making predictions but i'm now on team ham somehow figures out immortality and does not die at all never dies probably won't happen but would it be interesting if but would be hilarious if just to spite me <laughs> so as we wrap up chapter three we have a a summary of the situation at, ha- at hand given to us by Ellen. Uh, the assembly is a mess. A half dozen warlords with superior armies are breathing down my neck. Barely a month passes without someone sending assassins to kill me, and the woman I love is slowly driving me insane. Laugh track! Vin has has derisive opinions on that last bit. Uh, and Ham says, well, we could be facing an immortal god and his all-powerful priests, which, you know, is a fair point. Yeah, everyone's everyone's shutting down Ham, and I think he's 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 bringing some good stuff to the table here. There's also, I lost track of it, but there's a point in this chapter where Vin calls Ellen the the best man she's ever met. A, a girl, you know, says it. Like. <laughs> yeah, she says it in some respect. We're getting to him, though, which is great. Yes. Yeah. For like three pages. <laughs> Moving to chapter four. Now we do see in the epigraphs, uh, this is Quan, philosopher, scholar, traitor. Uh, and he 
was the one who discovered Elendi, proclaimed him to be the hero of ages, and started this all. Elendi. Yeah, this is also the first time we've seen Elendi's name, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, great. Two names that I can now use freely. (laughs) So moving into chapter four, we now cut to a good portion of the way across the the land uh, as we are joining Sazed out in the Eastern Dominance. Yeah, what you doing out there, Sazed? <laughs> Looking at a corpse. Y- investigating a, a dead body. Uh, yeah, he was he was out here to kind of help the people, uh, but it turns out that what he needs to help with is uh, this man died. Old Jed. Poor Jed. Aw, Jed. What Jed. a good old guy, that old Jed. Uh, but old Jed is uh, has has been somehow killed, uh, and mist came during the day, and that is strange and scary. Yeah, spooky. <laughs> but Sazed, with his uh, his many areas of knowledge, uh, is doing a bit of everything right now. Uh, he was doing a, a an autopsy of sorts earlier. Uh, and is now performing a funeral service. He is, is taking it upon himself to to bury this man and to hold a bit of a memorial. And this being Sazed, he has, of course, selected a uh, a religious rite appropriate for the occasion. Uh, these are the the Hada people uh, from the who were from the south uh, and had an agricultural deity. We get a, a few moments of describing just how downtrodden these folks are just how life has really not improved and perhaps gotten worse in the last last year or so yeah um but somehow the most like the start of of this paragraph this section of just nobody helped him dig the grave really hit me yeah that was a really good line of like oh that's uh that's that's not a good sign for the 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 world right now mm-hmm. i also just have in my notes i would i i i want to get more deets on how Farukami works um because it seems like pewter mines match up with how pewter works in alamancy but copper mines don't seem to have anything to do with how copper works in alamancy yeah there's there's some parallels but definitely not all of them yeah i just kind of want i i want i want another like Say said brings out the chalkboard and just goes step by step explaining how the two systems interact with each other. Because um, I'm just so curious to to see what parallels are there and what aren't. I also like the the very mundane and practical detail of when he's trying to to go through his memories and his copper mines to pick the appropriate religious rite. Uh, he has an index. He has created a quick reference index in his memories to help him find his other memories. And I just like that. God, I love Sazed. Um, and then, yeah, I think the biggest twist of this chapter is when we find out at the end, we actually find out what uh, the like council assembly uh, bureaucrats uh, decided, um, which is that Jed wins. Uh, Jed wins everything. He got, he got, he 100%ed it all. <laughs> Jed. I think the, the interesting kind of look, we had heard last book from uh, from Sazed that this is what the keepers were waiting for this was they were preserving this knowledge for a time 
past the Lord Ruler to kind of reteach the world what they had forgotten. Uh, and it doesn't really go that way. The The situation that these people are in has not significantly changed, like like we mentioned. And they really don't care about the things that Sazed knows. Yeah. And in fact, some of them want the Lord Ruler to come back because it was it was such an upheaval and things haven't gotten better so can we just can we just go back to how it was it's bad man it is it is not a uh, not a great start uh, but this is a very brief chapter we're just kind of getting a i feel like this chapter is really just saying hey the things that says it is doing uh, the, these will be important so let's take a look yeah. at them now and then we'll come back later uh, but yeah, not a not a super long chapter. We go on to chapter five, which is our last one uh, of the section today, and it is the bulk of the the story. Uh, and we see uh, this is our our first epigraph that tells us, I think, something. Uh, well, we we knew this from Alendi's point of view in the We've previous heard Juan before. Yeah. yeah, we we had we knew that that Alendi had been betrayed by the one who. Uh, who had discovered him. But now Quan says it right here. I am the one who betrayed Elendi, for I now know that he must never be allowed to complete his quest. So that's concerning. Yeah, and that's also an interesting take of... Um, I'm curious where the epigraphs will go, but like the implication seems to be in the first book, oh, Elendi should have been the one to do it, and if he had, everything would have gone well, and it's only because Rashek stepped in and took his place that things went terrible. And now we have a second character being like, no, it would still have gone bad if Elendi was the one to do it. Um, which just kind of, I think it seems like it's hinting towards none of these people were actually supposed, were actually meant to fulfill the prophecy of the Hero of Ages. And I wonder who will. Um, but mm. I imagine that will become more clear as the uh, uh, thing progresses. Mm -hmm. Or uh, in our... Uh the the summary that sam has given us in his his notes <laughs> epigraph oh no quan bad sad emoji <laughs> not just any sad emoji d colon yeah the saddest emoji that is yeah, the devastated emoji <laughs> also i'm sure that this is like i'm sure quan has his reasons and i'm sure we'll find them out um so we'll see uh, we rejoin Vin and the city of Luthadel. Uh, and she is now out and about during the day, which is definitely a change from the last book, where she just gets to actually go places and kind of be uh, herself. Though, as we see internally, that's still kind of a complicated question of who being herself is. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of introspection here in the first couple of pages. Um... I'm trying to find it, but she, she, I have it in my notes. She thinks about like her mom at one point. Um, might be skipping ahead a little bit, but um, that's somewhere in here. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is in there. Uh, she is. Uh, she's thinking about who her, what her actual position in life and in society is. Uh, she's she's looking at a shop that sells books that were typically sold to to nobles uh and is is wondering is she noble given that she's in a relationship with the king 
that does grant some sort of title. But she's not engaged with the king. No. She was trained by Kelsier, which gives her some sort of kind of lineage in in terms of people who, who revere Kelsier. Uh, but her actual... She also then points out that her father, given that she's a, a, a Ska Alamancer, uh, her father was noble. He was the High Prowlin. Uh, and this is the, like you said, the the family and, and musings on her mother. Uh, she still has that earring. Is kind of the only reminder of those days. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a messed up past that she still has to kind of deal with. <laughs> yeah, and this, the reason it's in my notes is, I think we knew the earring was from her mother, and we knew the whole thing about she killed Vin's sister, and then Reen took her away. I think this is the first time we hear that the earring literally happened like right before she got taken yeah that's that's messed up yeah well it's 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 messed up it's also really interesting one of my theories from last time is that like yeah she was probably insane but insane in a way of like probably tapped into some mystical power like i I don't know if this kind of tie into the prophecy or something but yeah the idea of her her mom her mom's insanity is manifesting in such a specific way that I feel like it's going to end up being important in some way. And I feel like the fact that she shoved an earring into her ear and then Vin still has that earring. Like, I feel like that's a detail that's going to end up being important. We will have to keep an eye out for mentions of this suspicious earring. Uh, we also see some of the uh, reactions of the, the rest of the city to what's happened where there are people who are are following Vin, trying to get sight of her, trying to get close to her. Uh, she mention, mentions that she realizes she's being tailed, though calling it that is a bit generous. <laughs> uh, but there are people now who believed in, who still believe in Kelsier, and she now has some sort of important position to them. They call her the Lady Heir, which bothers her uh and they're looking to her for advice which i don't know if she's particularly in a good situation to give advice at this point they also have a full-on cult name already as priests of the survivor which also makes Vin uncomfortable yeah this is uh this is the church of the survivor and when you knew the guy that's weird yeah <laughs> it does make me curious like so did orasaur pretend to be Kelsier for just one night and then that was it because they do mention he passed on like all these people know Kelsier's not around anymore um which is just kind of interesting of like I guess I guess with Ellen becoming king it makes sense that Kelsier fake Kelsier wouldn't stick around but as as mentioned in my attack on titan brain Kelsier quote-unquote surviving despite everyone seeing him die was a very important part of getting the people riled up and believing in something and the fact that it seems like he only did that for a day is just very it's just very interesting yeah i think kelsier didn't think past his plan (laughs) like i said 12 hours past his death is when the plan ends (laughs) Mm -hmm. vin also practices thaumaturgy kind of a lady asks vin to touch her kid and vin touches her kid yeah mostly out of kind of trying to do something for them uh but that that whole kind of emotion is is something that Vin's not very comfortable with. And eventually she just has to kind of take her leave. Uh, and then we get to see the the errand 
that she has gone out for today, there are, in fact, animals in this world. Vin wants a dog. Yay. And she meets, what, three and punches the third in the face. She sure does. She just decks this dog. I'm quoting Brandon from the annotations. The dog had it coming. Yeah. I mean, he's a watch beast. I disagree with Brandon himself about this. Oh, it's very tongue-in-cheek. He he, I know, I know. he is pointing out that this scene kind of bothered some of the people in his, his writing group when he was working on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they felt very bad for the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he was he, he he said, This needs to happen to move the plot along. I know it's not great, but but the dog had it coming. But yeah, I this this scene is is kind of funny where this Vin is not a, a large person and she comes up and she's like, I want a dog and, and and he says, Great, we have these, you know, cute little puppies and she says, No, I want that one, who is probably the size of her. And and, and he's like, I I will not sell this dog to you. And she has other opinions. <laughs> and yeah, she pays for the dog, uh, jumps into the pen, just decks the dog in the side of the head, knocks him out, ties him up, hoists him over her shoulder, and carries him away. And then tells Orser, eat this dog. Mm-hmm. Eat this dog that is still alive. Well, she here's the kill thing. It. So I was all on board with, I was really excited at first, because I was like, oh, Vin's going to get a like wolf pet. And then she was like, I want the grumpiest one you have. I was like, oh, she's going to get like a grumpy temperamental wolf pet. That's going to be fun. And then she punches it. And then she tells Orisur to eat it. And then it is referred to at one point as a carcass. And it's, so it's very unclear if Vin killed it in one punch. Or if she's like, eat this thing alive, slash you kill it, Orisur. There's just a lot happening here that's like, oh, that's really not what I expected or wanted when I saw Vin was going wolf shopping. Yeah, this is this is a little weird. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> I I think, unfortunately, it's the, the latter of eat this dog alive, because when she gets past uh, back to the palace, it says Vin slammed the unconscious wolfhound to the yeah. floor. Yeah, yeah. So why'd you call it a carcass, Brandon? And then get your story straight. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, this is your new body, Vin uh, proclaims. Uh, Orser, with an excellent grasp on the obvious nature of reality, says that is a dog. <laughs> so like, this is fucked up, right? I'm yes. not the only one who thinks this is really fucked up. That yes. there's a like talking sentient person, and Vin goes, "Oh, you'll be a dog now." I mean, are they a person? They are a a conscious being, but are they human? And is is imitating is imitating a dog different than imitating a human? Okay, so when I play D anD D and one of the players is a changeling, I'm not like, oh, I get to treat you as a pet, even if they're sworn to my service. That's not where I. I the fact that they're not human does not mean that they don't like. They shouldn't be treated. Sure. Okay. Being treated like a pet definitely a different thing, Mm -hmm. but is there is there a difference between Orser imitating a dog and Orser imitating a person? I kind of want to hear more of Orser's thoughts on that, but we don't get that. We just get Vin being grumpy that Orser exists. (laughs) Yeah. 
we will we'll definitely have to see more of of this relationship because it's not Wait, off to sorry. a great start. My mistake, Orisur's frown deepened. I will not do this thing easily. You will need to compel me by virtue of the contract. So clearly, he's not into it. No, yeah, not a he... fan. <laughs> why is this not implied? Why, why, like, it, it, he's not her friend, and he's the contract doesn't say be Vin's friend. It says do what Vin says. Or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is Orisor being like, hey, when you treat me like this, it means I'm not going to be your friend. Like, keep in mind, this is only because of our, like, business transactions. And, I don't know, I feel like Vin could be more chill, and then they could become friends. But, no, have this dog, I command you. <laughs> Little telltale sign pops up. Orsir will remember that. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what that's that's what the you'll need to compel me is. It's literally just him being like, "Hey, our you're not s ranking this relationship right now. I just want to let you know that." <laughs> I'm honestly, if Orsir ends up like the contract gets broken at some point, and and Orisur just like betrays Vin. Now Vin had it coming. That's all I'm saying. I love Vin, but in this chapter, like. <laughs> She she has a comment if Orisur ends up uh, doing something. So yeah, let's let us officially put a pin in the the conversation of the relationship between Vin and Orisur because that's clearly going to have to go somewhere. But we go on from that to some alimantic investigation. Uh, Vin has has received a package and a note from a a metalsmith who apparently. Uh, is a is a an expert at working with alimantic metals. Uh, this guy presumably has a, a pretty healthy living preparing metals for noble alimancers. And he has delivered a sample of a particular alloy of aluminum that's called Duralumin, which Sam actually name-dropped in our episode zero. Yes, indeed. I didn't, I didn't think it was a real metal, so he said that, and I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, that was no, that was great. Can I do a, a a whirlwind tour of Duralumin and why I talked about it? Go for it. Five minutes max, less than that. Um, so aluminum existed since ancient Greece, but they couldn't really make it a metal till the late 1800s. Till that point, it was just like, look at this cool thing. Um, so Duralumin kind of filled in the gaps until people truly understood how to make, like, synthesize aluminum metal because that requires electricity. Um, and that's why I predicted it. Uh, it, it also kind of sucks because the way that you, uh, <laughs> the way that you make Duralumin is you cast it, you quench it, and then you just leave it there for like several days. Uh, and it, it hardens and then bam, you have Duraluminum. Uh, also you have to corrugate it, uh, in order for it to have any strength at all. Um, so it's like shitty aluminum, which is what I imagine <laughs> they would have in a time before electricity. So there. But yeah, put it on the board. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast points. Duralumin is how you say it? I think so. I mean, okay. it's aluminum, I... and duralumin is the oil, the alloy of it. So I'm assuming you that aluminum... You read the audiobook. Have... It's duralumin. I, I, when I thought it was a fantasy metal, I pronounced it duralumin because I thought that was cooler. <laughs> and I, I didn't... think it's cooler. I didn't think about how you say aluminum. <laughs> Well, that depends very much on where you live. If you That's true. say aluminium, aluminium. Uh, we actually, we're, we're not quite done with the 
Vin and Orser's relationship point uh, because this arrived several hours ago and Vin is frustrated that Orser did not tell her. Uh, and Girl, and... it's on your desk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Vin is much for know. using a desk. Uh, but yeah, Orser is apparently going by the book here. Uh, Vin did not specifically command that Orser should let her know about package deliveries, so he didn't. And this is the part at the end of the Telltale episode where it's going through all your choices and it specifies Orsor did not let you know about the package because he didn't yeah. like you. <laughs> so we now uh, go onwards. Uh, apparently Docs has returned. So good to see Doxon again. Uh, he was up in Terrace and it was cold there. Yeah, we don't really go into why, but I sure would like to. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, Dox is back and, and doing his thing, going over the the finances with Alan. Being very polite, professional, you know, kind of a couple couple of fun remarks here and there. Uh, and then Doxon leaves the room and Ellen goes, I fucking hate that guy. Yeah, they uh, they also have a, an, an inter- interesting working relationship here. It might not quite be as drastic as, as you put it, Caleb. I know. I'm just. I'm just salty that anyone's not getting along with Doxon. Give him a chance. Vin is correct. Uh, Ellen's major uh, hang-up is that he thinks that Dox doesn't like him. Dox has a past with nobles, mm-hmm. and it might take him some time to work over that. So give him a chance, Ellen. Also, someone not liking you but still trying to be professional about your relationship doesn't instantly make that person unlikable. But Ellen does say Doxon is not likable. He, he does directly say that. Um, which, yeah, it's just like, you, you gotta see where he's coming from before you judge him too harshly. Uh, and now we have a uh, the scene of Vin debuting a, a particular new scent. Uh, this one is dog, because <laughs> she was carrying a dog. Uh, and, and Ellen was trying to be diplomatic, and he's like, okay, good, that was not supposed to smell good because it doesn't <laughs> we also get a little bit later we get the reverse of uh ellen very rightfully being like hey give orisur a chance stop hating on him so much but ellen is fully on board with the yeah turn him into an animal that's fine that's awesome that's great that's badass which is and there's kind of like a none of the characters are on the same page as me about any of this which is <laughs> I feel like that's probably a, an unfortunate inheritance from Straff. Because we did establish that the, the Venture family had a Kandra. And I cannot imagine that Straff treated that guy well. <laughs> or true. like a sentient being with feelings. I guess, but Ellen is... That's the same thing about how Straff treated the Ska. And Ellen's all like, yeah, the Ska deserve, right? The Ska are awesome. Ah, fuck the misrace though. They suck. <laughs> I'm not saying he's right. I'm just saying I see where yeah, he's I know. coming yeah. from. Makes sense, yeah. And then they kiss. <laughs> Ellen and Vin. They kiss with his honest eyes. What? <laughs> Ellen and Vin make out. No, I know that. I just don't like that the eyes were involved in this kissing discussion Look, at all. We all know Ellen has honest eyes. That's what Matt, that's why he's so special. He's a good man, and he's 21. Mm-hmm. Is he now? It, has it been long enough for him to be 22? 
Well, it has been a full year. Does it have to be a different indignant statement of his own age now? Oh, we're going to get into some weird age discussion in a little bit. All right, then. Let's uh, let's keep going on here. Yeah, so they're just... There's a couple of, of relationships that are trying to kind of get untangled here where uh, Elend is trying to get Vin to, to give Orsur a chance. Um, we, we see directly stated one of the, the kind of the major issue that she has, uh, which is that he ate Kelsier. And that really bothers Vin. Uh, and as Ellen points out, Kelsier literally told him to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's going to have to be an issue. Uh, Vin misses Sazed, would much rather have have him working around helping her, which I don't blame her. Sazed's a, a cool guy. Uh, and then the other, th- one of the things that has been bothering Ellen is stated right here is comparing himself to Kelsier and trying to live up to to that extensive image there's a there's there's a moment where ellen ellen says obviously doxin doesn't think i should be king uh everyone thinks that that kelsier should be in charge um and and he asks vin directly if kelsier was alive would i be king and vin hesitates and he's like see you too which is interesting because I think Kelsier would make a terrible king. Oh, he'd be awful. He, oh, he'd, he'd be absolutely. the worst at it. And it's just so interesting that all the characters are like, yeah, we'd rather it be Kelsier. And we just know enough about his mentality to be like, no, that that would have gone very badly. I I dunk on Ellen all day, but Ellen is a better option than Kelsier. And and yes, according to, uh, to Vin, uh, Kelsier was old for one thing. Uh, well, hold it, on. It, That's no. This is a different discussion. First, it was who should be king. Yeah. And then it becomes, I didn't love him. Not like I love you. Why not? He was thirty-eight, and that's not. That should be the end of the conversation. But then Ellen goes, Ah, well, I'm old too. So the fact that he was thirty-eight doesn't. That's not enough of a reason. You need to give me more of a reason why you didn't love Kelsier. It's like. This this exchange is very weird to me. I I did not enjoy it very much. So he's four years older than uh, twice Vin's age. She, he he would be more than twice Vin's age. Uh, so thirty eight's not ancient, but okay. I mean, you know, come on. Yeah, to what like an age gap? The age gap between Vin and Ellen is like a little weird by our standards but like i i can i can see it i, it's, I can it's a live with world. it it's a different i can i can deal but yeah like 17 a 17 year old 16 slash 17 year old and a 38 year old is not nope absolutely not um i yeah i also i also think this conversation is strange especially given how in the previous book forcefully brandon pushed the Kelsier thinks of Vin as his daughter. Yeah, perspective. Mm-hmm. Like Kelsier's dead. Why are we still bringing up the weird possibility of romance that has already been shut down? Yeah, I I feel like he did a good enough, perhaps a too obvious enough job of establishing that that was the dynamic. That we don't need these sort of discussions. Ellen can be insecure about other things. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so obvious that we wouldn't need conversations like this going forward, but here we are. Yeah, so we we do have some kind of different perspective recaps of 
some of the events of the end of of last book uh vin apparently learns for the first time that ellen got himself involved in the fight in the square uh and her opinion is that that was a colossally stupid move um ellen apparently now also agrees that that was a colossally stupid move so progress there thank god i don't know this this might be a um you're not invincible moment uh but vin was there i mean it says that she was like in an alley helping out but i feel like yes she was with that Greece. was the center of the battle right she saw Kelsier like I think there was enough chaos going on and the fights were going on in different enough places. Like Ellen was going for uh the carts. Uh they did come face to face at one point, so it is it, it does seem like Vin maybe could have seen him there. And they do acknowledge they did acknowledge in last book in that scene. Vin says, I think I just saw Ellen down there. And I think it was either Breeze or Dox was like, That's stupid. And you yeah, didn't. I think, I think it's Dox. <laughs> So she she glimpses him, and then that possibility is squashed. Mm-hmm. I'm also briefly amused by uh, Ham coming to deliver some news and poking his head in the room, uh, and just going, "Nope, sorry." When when he sees the two of them sitting <laughs> together, in my notes, yes, Ham, please interrupt this. I was still reeling from the Kelsier's thirty eight thing, so I was happy to have another character come in and change the subject. Uh, but Ham, as a fellow Alamancer, uh, Vin wants to to bounce some ideas off of him as to what this new metal could do. Uh, apparently, this has been something that she's been working on for a bit now of trying to uh, to figure out. She's been trying a bunch of different uh, alloys, trying to to narrow in on on what is uh, what's the the missing metal. They they now know some more details on uh, aluminum. Uh, in that it will strip away metal reserves from anyone who burns it. Uh, we were briefly discussing in our, our chat beforehand, uh, there are such things as aluminum mistings. Uh, once it becomes more widely known what that, that is and how that works, they're known in-universe as aluminum gnats because they can't really do anything. Watch this, everybody. I'm burning aluminum. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, Vin has been trying this repeatedly, making herself sick with some bad alloys, which is dedication to science. This is the scientific method, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she she tries some uh, of this Duralumin, uh, and nothing happens. She burns it. There's no visible change. It doesn't make her feel awful, so that's progress, I guess. Uh, but there's a whole lot of nothing there. Uh, but this is uh, an alloy of aluminum and copper. And they will have to, to figure it out later. Which is also worth noting. We've talked about alloys before. I don't know how what all the different alloys are made of. But the fact that this is an alloy of, of aluminum and then one of the other allomantic metals is just so interesting because now i'm like okay well that's like what 64 combos of what if we just start making alloys of all of the different metals that we have and that's what the 64 would be of the main eight um so i i just feel like it's it's likely that there's only one alloy per mm -hmm. pure metal that matches up but like 
we could go wild with this. We could we could we could do a lot here. And sure could. the other thing is like, does this count as the copper? This doesn't count as the copper um, uh, alloy, even though it uses copper in it, because copper already has its corresponding alloy. So I don't know. The fact that the the additional metal is one of the other allomantic metals just kind of like. It, yeah. it brought me right back to the Charlie Day conspiracy board of like, okay, well then what does that mean? How do all these different things interact then? What does this, what does this mean for how all the, just kind of threw a wrench in everything I, I thought I knew. And there's a, there's a couple of, of weird ones like that where like bronze is primarily copper and is therefore the alloy of copper elementically. But the thing that it's usually alloyed with is tin, which is also an elementic metal. So it's, it not perfect system. Uh, I don't but yeah. understand. Yeah, it's uh, it it is interesting. Uh, but yeah, apparently, uh, apparently Tarion, the the metalsmith who sent this this uh, package, has on record forty different alloys of aluminum that Vin was totally willing to try. So it seems good that at least on attempt five, they've found one that doesn't make her sick. So progress there. Yeah, that's nice. Tarion Darrington himself. But as we we wrap up the chapter, uh, Ham was just stopping by to see if he, if uh, he was interested in doing some sparring and wanted to see if Vin and or Elland would participate. Elland being needing to participate because he should at least know how to defend himself a little bit. Uh, but he is not really interested in that right now and and thinks that maybe the the two combat experts should fight each other while I don't. Yeah. I don't want to get beaten up by a girl. Yeah, it's not great. He he he's got some stuff to learn about phasmism. Mm-hmm. I was trying to give a uh in the year something something on the planet Skadriel, but I have no idea how they count dates, so that didn't work. Anyway, yeah, that will be uh the end of our section. So uh, just kind of in general, what are we what are we thinking as the the second book has gotten underway here? I will fully admit between the weird dog uh, like wolf thing with Orasur and then also the weird Kelsier conversation, chapter five was not my favorite. Um, but aside from that, uh, really good setup here. A lot of new mysteries. The Watcher. We have a couple of details about him, but we need to figure out what's going on there. We have these mist creepers also showing up. And then we have the big question of how do we fight 50,000 people? Um, so just kind of, you can see all of ticking clocks being set in these opening chapters and then just watching them uh, count down as the book goes on, which is a lot of fun. Oh, there's a lot of questions um, that, that will take a long time to break down. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about two. Actually, real quick. Uh, just to, to keep things in the usual kind of order, um, we're probably going to keep talking about adaptation, but I don't think anyone new actually showed up aside from, like, Orser's previous body. Which I do have a casting board. <laughs> Which is... Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, and the Unseen Watcher and a figure made out of mist. So casting is is kind of abbreviated. We also have the vital characters Tour, uh, who Seized talks to for a bit, and of course, 
Jed. I I guess we do have more casting than I thought, because I I figure we should lock that in before we get to uh, questions and predictions, which it sounds like Sam, you've got a few things teed up for. Yes. I don't have any casting, unfortunately. Okay, that's to be honest, perfectly fine. I'll be I'll be brief. Uh, I have John DeSantis as Orosaurus Baldi. He played the bald henchman in the Netflix uh, series of Unfortunate Events show. Um, good actor. I I made that casting, and then I found out Orosaurus would be getting a new body. I was like, oh no, I wanted more John DeSantis, but um, that's that's what I have there. Um, I didn't cast Tour because I feel like we'll never see them again. Um, we must of course cast Jeb Bush as Jed. Um, but okay, uh, yeah, those you're are right. the three I've got. Yeah. All right. Glad we've uh, we've established that. Onwards to predictions. Yay. And things that would be interesting. So yeah, I think early on in the book, it's it's certainly a good idea to throw just kind of open questions in there as well. So Sam, I'm curious what you are looking forward to finding out about. Uh, so I have a, a lot of questions. Uh, let me rattle them off here. Um, number one, who's the watcher? Number two, who's on the parliament? Number three, why is no one using Credit Shaw to, that we talk about? Um, number four, where's Marsh anyway? Number five, where are the Inquisitors? Six, uh, what does it mean to draw on the mists? Seven, why is Sezed in the Eastern Dominance? Eight, what was the misty ghosty guy? Nine, what killed old Jed? I think those are my nine big guys. Those are all pretty good questions. Um, I'm not going to do all nine. I'm going to synthesize a couple. Okay. Uh, I think given that we haven't seen him or talked about him or done anything, uh, I think the Watcher might be Marsh. Maybe? It's a possibility. I, I, I would say it's probably not Marsh, but it might be Marsh. Who knows? I'll put that in the would be interesting column. And then the uh, the misty ghosty guy uh, ties in with old Jed dying, I think. Um, okay. Uh, let me see. Um, I think that the misty ghosty guy and old Jed and um, the Lord Ruler saying, you know, you don't know what you'd be without me or whatever... Um, I think this all ties back to the deepness. And I think that uh, the reason why there's no Atium is because you have to burn it to keep the deepness at bay. Okay, so the Lord Ruler or somebody involved in that had been just burning Atium consistently. Right, in order to, to keep the deepness at bay in some way. I don't know exactly what it would do, but that's that's my thought as to why... It makes sense that there's no Atium, why the Misty Ghosty guy's here, and what killed old Jed is clearly something with the mist. So Right, because the 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 current crew would not have known that at all and just haven't been doing that. Okay. Looking forward to uh where we see those things develop. I also agree that I want to see what Marsh has been up to. Same. Yeah. Uh all right. Is, uh, put it over to me yeah yeah let's uh All right. head to to caleb see what uh what you are thinking about okay um actually on the same page as a lot of uh, uh sam's guesses here uh my first question is who is the watcher uh i definitely have marsh listed as a possibility um 
I, I think it's very unlikely, but it'd be fun if it was Lestaborns, and he just has been a secret Mistborn, actually, and he's, that would whatever he's been up to, he's been just, he's turned into this badass off screen. Um, uh, it seems like the Watcher is keeping an eye out for Vin, but I also, it's clear there's kind of an adversarial relationship. Um, I think it's most likely that this is a new character we have not met before, um, and, uh, looking at the back of the book which is still a little bit cheating perhaps we know that there's supposed to be three armies showing up we know we have straffs and then there's the mention of Ashweather set mm -hmm. and then we still have no idea where the third one is going and i have a feeling the watcher might be kind of a spy who is kind of feeling things out and just keeping an eye on things potentially for this mystery third army it doesn't quite make sense yet why that person would have saved vin in the fight um so perhaps it's someone who needs vin alive for something but is not necessarily an ally in the strictest sense um i'm just i'm curious that that's 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 kind of my guess i'm not putting a ton of chips on the table for that but that's kind of what i'm thinking there um i do have one other very strong theory as to who it might be it might be someone we've met before i think the watcher may in fact be fourth voice um, I was gonna make that joke. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say that Third Army was led by Fourth Voice. That could be too. It could all be connected. I could be right on both counts. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyways, um, those are my thoughts on the Watcher. It is interesting that we get kind of a brief discussion of Ellen goes. Uh, you're watching. You're keeping your eye out for me, but who's keeping an eye out for you? And we kind of have an answer to that, weirdly. Um, we just don't know what the Watcher's deal is. But there is someone who is kind of keeping an eye on Vin and seems to be... She mentioned sparring with him, so clearly it's not it's it's not friendly unless there's someone who is like just intentionally trying to train her. Um, but uh, yeah, he's just kind of an interesting character. It's... it's uh, if, if, if anyone's played Arkham City... Um, when you're first being led into the, the the prison city thing as Bruce Wayne, you can look up to the rooftops and if you see it, there's the character Azrael who's watching you and doesn't become relevant till like halfway through the game, but it gets a little early bird cameo. And that's kind of the vibe I picture when I when I think about uh, the watcher just kind of watching from the rooftops and keeping an eye on things. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I got for that. A um, couple of random Let's theories. Yeah, yeah. I in the, love in the it, baby. Lord. Arkham City. Great game. Amazing Great game. game. Good game, yeah. A um, couple of kind of random theories. There is the line, with Atium, she was invincible. I have a feeling that that statement will be severely challenged by the end of the book. We already know that she's out of Atium, but I have mm -hmm. a feeling there might also be some other thing that shows up where she's like, oh, Atium won't fix this problem. Oh, God, what do I do now? Um, just because... And it's interesting, they've already set up so strongly that she depends upon it in order to fight. And the consequences have already started in that regard because she's run out. But I wonder if there will be another consequence of, oh, she's relying on it too much because there's something that can mess with it. Uh, one theory I had while um, during this episode is when I came up to with it, um, is that, um, yeah, I don't think it'll be a monument, but I think the quote-unquote journal, if it ever gets found by the characters in this uh, uh, book, the epigraphs, will be essentially a piece of metal. I think there's a very good chance, like I said, we know it's Quan, we know he's a Faroukamist. I think they might literally just find like a piece of jewelry or something, and they're like, all right, say Zed, see what what the fuck this says, because no one else can, can deal with it. 
um, which would be kind of a fun twist of like Seizet was responsible for translating the journal and now he has to translate it again, but in a completely different format. Um, it's just kind of a kind of a fun fun theme. But yeah, he says at the very beginning, I'm carving this into metal. So either it is like a bunch of metal sheets um, or I think it would be more interesting if it's essentially a copper mine that they find and have to sort through. Well, they did say in Mistborn, and you know, they, we've gone double back on a lot of things from Mistborn, but they did say that uh, you can't access a copper mine that's not yours, I think. There would definitely be a... Either there would have to be some pretty significant rewriting of what we know about copper mines, which is entirely possible, or there there would have to be something else there for it to be an actual copper mine. Right. And yeah, and there's also a chance it's not literally a copper mine. Maybe there's a different type of metal, because it seems like a lot of them, a lot of the metals are still tied to holding on to knowledge in some way. Like, I don't think copper mines are the only, I, I forget how it goes, but I don't think copper mines are the only things that have been stored, that have been storing memories or certain, like, skills. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think there's a, I think there's a chance that there is a ferrochemical item that has all these records on it and that's how they find out about it that's my guess okay um and then yeah also keeping in line with uh two in a row that were uh, the same as mine that sam already mentioned i think the thing that killed good old jed was one of these mist creepers which is going to be the name i use for them until we find out more about them um but yeah i think that's it's probably the same type of creature that vin saw and I also think the Lord Ruler was probably keeping the, the mists at bay. And now that he's dead, the mists start showing up in the daytime and there's spooky things in the mists. Um, and from the sounds of it, it, it seemed like uh, Sezid has seen quite a few of these bodies um, over the past little while. Um, and if that's the case, then yeah, that checks out. The Lord Ruler's been dead for a year. So if this is becoming a recurring problem, the timeline kind of checks out that the problem probably started a little just a little while after the lord ruler died i don't think it's necessarily that he was burning adium to keep them away um i i I don't know about that um but i will i'll keep in mind what i think the actual um process was of that and um i may get on board with the adium theory but uh, uh not quite there yet um and then i do have one final big guess which is uh duralumin in the same way, you know, there's there's always give and take with all these combo metals. Um, and we know for the first time that this one did not make Vin sick and that it was burning. So it implies maybe this is the real one. We just don't really know how it works. Um, in the same way that aluminum takes away all your metals, I think if you burn Duralumin, you get just a little bit of all the other metals. And since Vin is already full up on most of her other metals, she just didn't really notice. But it just kind of gives you a little boost to everything. Which, in turn... If you can make enough Duralumin, might mean you have access to a small amount, but an amount of Adium, if it gives you all the other metals. Um, so I think it would be very cool. I'm not saying this is the th- well. No, I'll put it on the I'll put it on the table. I think Vin burns all of her Duralumin. She gets into another fight. She's like, "Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't have any Adium." But out of instinct, she tries to burn Adium anyways, and she realizes, oh, I do have just a little bit. And that's how she figures out Duralumin gives you just a little bit of all the other metals. That's my that, guess. That would definitely be a cool moment. We'll be yeah. on the lookout for that. Um, and that's pretty much what I've got. All right. I had one one thing that I forgot to mention. Okay. Um, related to, to my 
misty ghosty guy deepness everything um they need to go to the well of ascension because of the 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 idea that the deepness is resurging so that's the reason why it's brought up and that's the reason why they're going to go there okay is to fight the that's, deepness that's the solution to the problem that they are unwittingly let hap- letting happen or at least the perceived solution yeah that's just interesting because that's that's sort of like one of my theories for the end of final empire um is i yeah i figured they'd be heading to the well of ascension to as kind of the weapon to fight the 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 deepness yeah i think i i said something along those lines might have been exactly that but we have dachshund coming from the north which to me slightly impl- i don't know what else is up there but it seems to me that like dachshund might already be investigating the well of ascension and trying to see what's going on up there um which, yeah, that's just really interesting of, like, how much do they know that we just haven't found out about yet because we're only five chapters in. Um, I just, I really want to, I just need to check in on everyone. I know, I want to know where Dachshund's been. I want more about what Sazed's up to. I want to know where Marsh is. I want to know where Lesterporns is. Everyone wants to know where Breeze is. Um, yeah, I just kind of, I, 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 I need more of my check-ins. I need, I need more information. We'll definitely have to uh, kind of get through I, I think, yeah, just going through the list of where has everybody gone and seeing what they've been up to would be uh, good to to get through. Uh, I am going to say, with a, a, a brief diversion from our usual procedure, uh, given that we've now finished predictions and uh, once we wrap up here in, in a minute or two, reading the next part will be on the docket. Uh, the very first words of the chapter six epigraph are, I write this record now, pounding it into a metal slab. So there you go. That was that was also on the back of the book. That's actually why I knew that. That's what it was. That's true. This is the epigraph that is seen on the back of the book. But that could be metaphorical. It could still be. I don't know. I just think it would be really cool if they find like a bracelet and they're like, oh, wait, there's actually a ton of information on here. But it does. he does literally say pounding into a metal slab. So... I guess not, but who knows? Maybe it's a metaphor. A metaphorical metal slab. All right. Yeah, uh, I think that just about brings us to the end here. Uh, We are going to be heading into the the kind of most unusually proportioned section of our reading. uh, Because we have a whopping six chapters in our next section, including one that is only 650 words long, which is the shortest chapter in the entire book. Uh, And that will wrap up part one. We're just doing two segments to get through part one for this book. Wow, all right. Chapters six through 11. And uh, we're going to be seeing where things take us. Uh, One thing to note is that there are actually six parts in this book. So part one may be a slightly different amount than than you're previously expecting fair fair Uh, but yeah that is that is where we're going next and for those who want to follow along with us as we continue onwards as has always been the case you can find our show at alwaysanotherpodcast.com or wherever your podcast reader delivers those to you Uh, you can send us emails at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com we'd love to hear your thoughts there uh and as we're getting things off the ground here with our brand new social media presence uh take a look at always another pod on instagram and always another pod that's without the a and another uh on twitter 
because character limits put us one letter over. Uh, and we're going to be just kind of helping uh, share the presence of the show and maybe some other funny side stuff as we go on there. But I think that does it unless anyone else has anything to to add before we do our unusual sign off of some sort. Yeah, I, I think that, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, but yeah, as we're kind of wrapping up, I just, I do have one question. Um, Beth, off the top of your head, can you name like one cool thing Ellen has done? Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, anyways, I think that, yeah, that should wrap it up for this episode. All right, cool. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Chapter 611. We love you.